Welcome to Willamette Community Church's Messages Online. Today, Pastor Scott is in the book of Luke, chapter 6, talking about God's strange grace that he gives to us through Jesus Christ. Good morning, church family. It's good to see you today. Glad that we have this opportunity to open up God's Word together today. So I hope you have a copy here. If not, I want you to use the one sitting in front of you. We're going to open up God's Word and allow Him to continue to develop us. This is what God wants to do. He wants to continue to develop us. And so we're going to look at the Word of God so that we can have a grace encounter today, that we need to have a grace encounter. We need for Jesus to pour out favor to us, undeserved And so my hope is that we leave today saying, yes, I had a grace encounter with the God of all grace. I'm going to preface this before we look at this passage in Luke chapter 6 today. This is a difficult passage. There is just some difficulty in it to understand it. There's a difficulty in preaching it. And so I've wrestled with how much of this do I preach and And so today would just be the start of a conversation, okay? Today is just the start of us looking into this. I would hope that you'd spend the rest of this week looking at what Jesus says. There's no way I can completely do all of this in in a half an hour or so. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We're on page 861. Luke chapter 6, 861 if you want to use this Bible sitting in front of you. I've entitled this The Strange Grace of God. The Strange Grace of God. Now, frankly, it's a little strange. uh, Grace is strange just in and of itself. That favor would be given to somebody who doesn't deserve it. That's strange. That's not normal to the way we live. You usually don't get what you don't deserve. So to get any type of favor that you don't deserve is, is strange. But then as we look at this today, Jesus says some extra strange things, some things that will just make us scratch our head. And so I've been asking, God, would you open our eyes, open our hearts today to receive? There's going to be a lot in this passage, and, and you might get this part, and somebody else says, well, I need this part. And so, God, open up our eyes. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Open up our heart to see what you would have for us today. Let's start with the story. Let's just get into this story of not just what we're going to read here, but what's been happening in this book of Luke, what this doctor, physician Luke has been trying to say. And he's been saying that Jesus, who was God and is God, became like us. That's what we looked at last month. Early in, and he says, I just want you to know this, this God became born like one of us. This is part of the story. And then he taught and he lived out the very heart of God. The overarching story, which is this, that there is a love of God, and then that there is a problem that we have the sin of us, the sin of man, and Luke starts showing the rescue of God. This is the overarching story, that God has a great love, we have a great problem of sin, but God is going to rescue. He's a God of rescue. This was for the nation of Israel. This was a promise that had been given thousands of years before, but frankly, this is a promise for all of the world. This would include us. So Jesus was born. He was miraculously completely God, but he was completely man. He's born of the Spirit of God so that he could be God, but he's born of a human, Mary, so that he can be man. 
And then Jesus, this king from heaven, he came to rescue, to heal. We've talked about how he came and he said, I'm coming and giving good news to the, to the poor and to the captive and to the blind and the oppressed. And that's all of you. Because of sin, you're all poor and captive and blind and oppressed. And Jesus comes to rescue and to heal. There's the healing, and we'd seen this in different ways. He says, I'm just going to show you my authority. If I can do something so amazing as healing somebody who was filled with leprosy or somebody who was paralyzed or somebody who was blind, if I can physically do that, it just shows you I have some authority so that when I speak, you'd say, wait a second, he doesn't just talk. He has shown us that he's got something that none of us have. And so Jesus does some healing. And then graciously, he starts inviting. He says, hey, would you follow me? You can follow me. Ordinary fisherman, you can follow me. This great esteemed rabbi teacher, you can follow me. He says this to outcasts like tax collectors. You can come follow me. And he's saying this to ordinary people. He's inviting, saying, you can follow me. And then part of what Jesus is doing is that he is teaching. He is teaching that we need him. We need this healing and this rescue. And so follow along with me, if you would. We'll start at verse 17, chapter 6, verse 17. You might have to turn a page in the Bible in front of you there. Verse 17 says, Jesus came down with them, that is, the 12 disciples. He'd commissioned them recently and said, I am going to send you out. You are going to be sent ones. We'll call you apostles. You'll have this special message with special authority. But he sits down with them, and he stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples. So not only the 12, but there are more followers. And then a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. There are people from a hundred miles away gathering. So he's talking to this small group, and there are other followers that are listening. But there are people who have come from Portland and Eugene and Bend and the coast, and they're all coming because they've heard he's done great things. And he starts teaching. Follow along, verse 18. They came near to hear him, and frankly, they came to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted his eyes on his disciples, and he said this, and I'm just going to read this entire message. And then I'm hoping that you'd go back and read this, maybe with your community group, with your family. You could read this on your own as well. But let me just read this message that Jesus gives, and then we'll come back and hit some of the highlights for us. Verse 20, blessed are you who were poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. He's talking about himself. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did this to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you who have for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. 
Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks." Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. 
When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Whew, let's stop there. Thank you, Jesus. That, that was, that's rich. That's worth looking at again this week, right? That's worth looking again tonight. What's the message in here? Man, that, there's a lot to this. What's the king saying? This is the king with authority. He says, I've shown you I have authority because I've done some amazing things. What the, this king is doing is saying, I, this kingdom that I'm leading is upside down. If you didn't hear some things in there that were a little strange, you weren't listening very well. This king is talking about a kingdom that, well, it's, it's almost the opposite of what I thought. This kingdom sounds a little different. But this kingdom is based on love and grace. And frankly, it's strange. That's why I'm calling this strange grace for the disciples. Strange grace. They're hearing this and saying, man, this is a strange message. Let me look at some of this with you. Let's go back to verse 20. I want to share a few thoughts. And he says that Jesus lifted his eyes on his disciples and said this. These are strange words. Blessed are you who are poor. That's strange. That's not what we would expect. But he goes on to say, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now. That doesn't seem very blessed. That doesn't seem like a happy life. For you will be satisfied. He goes on to say, blessed are you who weep now. How does that seem right? Well, you shall laugh. Verse 22, blessed are you when people hate you. That doesn't seem like a blessing. I refereed a basketball game earlier this week. At one point at the end of this very, very highly contested game, somebody is telling me how bad I am. They are telling me that they're recording this on YouTube so I could go back and look at it and see all of my mistakes. And they're just judging me. I'm not joking. And I looked on YouTube to find it too. But I was hurt. And I'm reading this, blessed when people hate you. I'm like, I don't feel real blessed, Jesus. And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil, well, on account of the Son of Man. Let me, let me make a few thoughts just reading some of Jesus' upside-down kingdom thoughts. In this kingdom of God, which is now and it will be for all eternity, life's not about a few things. And I think he points these out, and I want you to write these down. I want you to know what life is not about and then what it is about. First of all, he says it's not about our ambition. It's not about my ambition. If I want to know what real life is all about, it's not about my ambition. It's not about me doing more. It's not about me being accomplished. It's not about me going, I've arrived. Actually, if I would acknowledge that I'm needy, Jesus says, there's hope for me. If I, I would acknowledge that I haven't arrived and I need something, there's hope for me. Now, Jesus isn't promoting laziness. He's saying, okay, you don't have to do anything, and you can shipwreck your life, and you can become poor and bankrupt, and that's all right. Somebody else will take care of you. He's not promoting laziness. He's not promoting that at all. He's just showing the reality that you are poor. He's speaking to people and saying, I want you to know this, you are poor. Spiritually, you're poor, and that's a good thing if you understand this. This is a great thing if you know this. 
And the question is, will you and I be humble enough to admit our need for Jesus? Jesus is trying to get them to understand. I would hope that you would understand that you are poor, spiritually poor. You, you are broken in many cases. I hope you'd humble yourself and see this. Because if you can see this, this is the start of the best life possible. In this kingdom of God, which is now and for all eternity, life's not about my appetites. It's not. It's not about, okay, I, I just, I want more pleasures. If I experience more pleasures, then I'll be so filled and I'll have, a, I'll have it all. And Jesus is saying, it's not about this. It's not about your appetites. Actually, again, if I would acknowledge that I'm needy and I have desires and I have an emptiness, then Jesus says, okay, now there's hope for you. If you can realize that you have desires for great things in life, if you understand that and you understand that you can't solve this on your own, now you're in a place where I can minister to you. Now, Jesus isn't promoting misery and saying, okay, take all the food out of your house, don't eat, and just wither up and die. He's not talking necessarily about this physical hunger. He's just showing the reality we are hungry. I ate already early this morning, and I'm starting to get a little physically hungry. It's just our reality is that when you experience things in life, you just feel so filled up. But what's the problem? We get, well, I want more of that. I want more of that. And Jesus is just showing the reality. You are hungry people, and spiritually you're hungry. And if you would understand this need, I can fill it. And so we, will we admit Maybe Jesus can fill this need like no, nothing else can. And in this kingdom of God, which is now and for all, all eternity, life is not about my approval, about me being approved. I had somebody already tell me this morning, man, you look extra good in this shirt. Now, I typically wouldn't have said this, but I said, I'm not looking for your approval. And it probably sounded a little rude at the time to that person, but it's a message I have to say to myself because, let's be honest, I like your approval. I like you to say things like good message or you look good or you did great. I like, and you do too. Don't look at me, judge me that I like approval. You do too. You know you do. You want approval. You want people to notice you. And Jesus says this kingdom is not about our approval. Actually, if I would live for the glory of Jesus, then there's hope for me. When I start living for my own glory, I find out that's an empty way of life. Can I get an amen? And so we just try. I'll, I'll do this so that people would approve. I'll do this so people will approve. Some of you hate certain aspects of your life because you sought the approval of others and you realize that was an empty way of life. And so Jesus, again, isn't promoting misery. He's just showing that the greatest acceptance comes from our maker. We are spiritually sad people in need of Jesus. And true life is not found in pursuing these things. It's not about, okay, my ambition and my, I want to be approved and, and I need all of this and my appetites feeding my appetites. This is not what life's about. But it's about understanding that we have ambitions and appetites and we do want some approval. And honestly, we just can't provide it anything like what Jesus can. And so we can all get tempted in life. 
to think things are about getting and gathering and building and collecting, right? We, we think that life is about having and doing and being accepted and arriving in the opinions of others. That's the temptation every single one of us has. It looks different, but it's all the same. If I just build my name up, if I build my house up, if I get this, if I get so many friends on Facebook, if, if they like my posts, whatever it is, that's the temptation. But that's not life. Go back to verse 20. Jesus says, you're blessed. Blessed are those who are poor. Yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. He's pointing to another day, another answer. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. In fact, he says in this upside-down kingdom, rejoice when those things happen. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy and behold, catch this, your reward. He talks about a reward in here a couple times. Your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did so to the prophets. Quick little story. Yesterday I went to a competition. Uh, my youngest daughter, Ashley, is in a cheer competition. and They do all these things, getting ready for the state competition. And we went into the gymnasium, and they started handing out the awards. This was the reward time. And it was actually quite beautiful because the gymnasium is packed, both sides, with parents and friends and supporters. And then the floor is filled with all these cheerleaders who've competed. I mean, the, the, they've probably accepted seeding the fire code at this point, all right? There's so many people in there, and then they start announcing third place, and there's some cheers, and second place, and there's some cheers, and first place, and there's some cheers, and all of a sudden, I'm just thinking, this is a beautiful moment. All this hard work, and they're getting rewarded, and I'm, I'm getting a little emotional just thinking, this, this is a little glimpse of heaven that everybody's cheering when there's an award, and so when they start announcing the division that my daughter and her team are in, they said third place place and it was somebody else and I'm like yeah we didn't want third and then they say second place and it wasn't us and so it's either we're really going to be disappointed or there's a chance we win and they said first place goes to Santiam Christian School and the place erupts and our cheerleaders get excited and our parents and I yeah you know you know me, I'm a little emotional. I start tearing up. I'm like, this is beautiful. They've worked so hard, the reward. And I was just thinking, God, what is heaven gonna be like? It's not gonna be one gym, but there's gonna be a massive reward for those who have trusted Jesus, those who followed Jesus, and we're gonna get trophies, and we're gonna say, then it's not for me, and we're gonna take the trophies and give them back to Jesus and say, it was all you, and all of heaven is gonna go crazy, and we will all weep with great joy. And I saw that yesterday, and my wife's laughing at somebody else. They're crying, and I'm like, yeah, how silly is that? <laughs> and later I confessed, I was too. It was beautiful, the reward. But Jesus goes on to say this, verse 24, but woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. I mean, you've pursued some things, and you got it, but I'm telling you, that's not good. 
You've received your consolation in this life. Woe to you who are full now. I mean, you've got everything, every appetite you wanted to pursue. You paid for it. You put it on credit. Oh, I'm sorry for you because now you're really in trouble. You know, but you pursued all these things. And he says, woe to you who are full now. For you shall be hungry. You'll actually be empty. And woe to you who laugh now. You think it's all about now and you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when people speak well of you now. It's not about the approval of people right now. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. They spoke well of them. Now Jesus isn't saying it's bad to have money. He's not saying it's bad to have possessions, to have good ambitions, things like that. He's not saying that. But if we think this life is filled when we pursue our ambitions, when we think this life is filled when we get our appetites fed, when we think life is full when people are saying how great we are, that's not life. And so to think like Jesus is quite countercultural. It's against everything you're seeing in all, all the TV advertisements. It's, a, it's against everything you see in just living in this world. And so to think like Jesus needs the grace of God. And Jesus offered grace in the form of these two words. Would you write them down? Repentance and faith. Jesus gave a grace encounter to these people, showing them what real life is all about. And he says, I'm offering you grace in these words, repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. You see, the grace encounter is that God graciously helps change our thinking this is what repentance is, to change my thinking and go, wait a second, that's not right. I'm going to turn to Jesus. That's repentance. But it takes faith to do this. Like, But everybody else says this. It's hard to believe this. But I'll change my thinking, what the world says, or what my flesh thinks. I'll change my thinking. I'll turn to Jesus. I will trust you and have faith. That's a gift that he says, I'll let you turn I'll let you change your mind. I'll let you confess your sin and turn to me. I'll give you faith so that you can believe what is so hard to believe. Now see, you and I have this need for God's grace. It's strange, this grace, but we have a need for it. And when you and I have faith, we can start to see that there's great value in associating ourselves with the poor and the hungry and the hurt. It's like, Jesus, you, you've shown me this possibility of a different life. And you've given me a chance to change my mind and confess my sins and turn to you and have faith. And there's value in associating with the poor. Like, I don't have to have it all now. And the hungry. And I don't have to be filled now with all of my appetites. And, and I don't have to have the approval of all. In fact, I really am living for an audience of one, and it's you. So then we start to see our need of God. And that he's mighty to save us in the greatest ways. You see, you and I, we need to see a couple things here. We need to see our own brokenness. And need to see the only Savior. Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new point of view here. I need you to see your own brokenness so that you'd see it and turn from it and confess and believe. And I want you to see the one true Savior, and it's not you, and it's not the things of this world. 
It's gracious that God is pointing out to us, these are your false gods. These are the things that you're saying, oh, if I just follow these ambitions and if I fill myself with these appetites and if I just get the approval of these people, Jesus says, these are false gods. It's my grace to you to show you that that's a dead end before you get to the dead end. I want you to be rewarded by faith, by having faith in me. And so God is offering this strange grace to us today. He's offering this to us. He says, I know this is so unlike everything you see every six and a half days out there, but this is why you need to spend every day in here. You need to have the faith to see the reality, the value of being poor and hungry and hurt. Sometimes with our kids, we're like, no, 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 I want to give them everything. Don't do that. God would say that too. I don't want to give you everything right now because this isn't home. Home is coming. You're not home here. You're an alien. You're a stranger. You're an ambassador for me right now. I don't want you to be fat and comfortable here. I don't want that. I want you to have faith that you need me as strange as this might sound. The rest of this sermon then speaks of the fruit of God's grace, and I don't have time to go over all of it, but I just want to show you some of this fruit because I thought it was quite fascinating, and this is why I want you to read, reread this passage, and not just for yourself, but maybe with your family, your community group, your ministry team, whatever this might be. Because when we change our thinking and have faith to believe in Jesus' thinking, he produces his life in us. It's just, it's fruit that comes up. It's the fruit of God's spirit in us. Go to verse 27, if you would. Go to verse 27. But I say to you who hear, I like the word hear. These are the people who see the need. Okay, man, what he's saying, that's what I need. The people who change their thinking, the people who turn from their way of thinking and trust Jesus. So I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Now this repentance and this faith of saying, okay, wait a second, it's not what I think, it's not what the world says, it's what Jesus says. This repentance and faith leads to radical love. Write these words down, radical love. This is what Jesus is going to produce in us, a radical love. You can't white-knuckle radical love. You can't make it happen. You can't say, I'm going to try to be more loving. But if you adopt Jesus and turn from your way of thinking and confess your way of thinking and turn to him and trust his way of thinking, he'll produce this in you so that you can do these things. That's what the kingdom of God is all about, that God would so love the world. He loved his enemies. The God who loved his enemies is going to produce that in every single one of us. Verse 39, go to this part. In this next section, he says, Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall? In this section, I think repentance and faith leads to deep, deep self-examination. Over these next few verses, starting at verse 39, this repentance of my way 
and this faith in Jesus' way, it leads to deep self-examination where I'd look at my own heart. You can write this down, Jeremiah chapter 17. It's a fascinating chapter, but in that chapter it says, uh, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. That's my heart, and that's your heart. That's all of humanity. The reality is we kind of deceive ourselves, like, yeah, I think I'm pretty good. I'm better than that person. We're deceiving ourselves. And what happens is when we turn from our way of thinking and turn to Jesus and trust his way and say, wait a second, Jesus's way is the best way. All of a sudden it helps eliminate self-deception. The heart's deceitful, sick. Who can understand it? Only the maker. And he says, so turn from your way, repent from your way, see that it is Blessed to understand that you are poor and it's good to be hungry and it's good to, it's good to see your need. And then let God do some self-examination with you and you say, wait a second, I'm noticing everybody else's problems, but wow, I got problems too. After I was chewed out for refing, right, Wednesday night, after I was walking home and I was thinking about it and I thought, Man, those are just terrible people. And, and God said, wait a second. Don't you remember how you lived the first 25 years of your life? You always ripped on referees. You reap what you sow, sucker. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, Lord. I, okay, before I trash them, I'll look inside and realize, man, I, yeah, to even trash them shows that there's some deceit in my heart. Oh, I am poor. I am hungry. I am hurting. I need you, Jesus. Then finish at verse 47. He talks about another section here. Let's read a couple verses. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, and he's given a lot of them. That's why I want you to go back and look at this. Everyone who hears my words and does them, I will show you what this person's life is like. It's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. This is a really good thing. The builders in our church can tell you this. And when a flood rose, because the floods always rise. Can I get an amen there? The floods always come. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. And the repentance that Jesus is talking about saying, your way is not the right way. The world's way is not the right way. I know this is strange, but repent of this. Confess of your way. Turn to me. Trust me. This repentance and this faith leads to unshakable development. Write it down. Unshakable development. Jesus says this is what repentance and faith leads to. Unshakable God will keep building you. He'll keep growing your character. He'll keep growing your witness. He'll keep growing you so that you can make more disciples. He'll keep doing this in you to build unshakable development. I look at my own life and I say, I need unshakable development. I need this from God. You don't have to amen that. I just, I'm amening it for myself. But you need it too. Every single one of us. You need God to have this unshakable development in you. 
And so Jesus said, blessed are the who? The poor, the hungry, the hurting? Can you see with me that that's us? And I hope that this is you. Can you see that you're broken? Can you see that you have a spiritual poverty? Now, you may have trusted Jesus, and you know that you have his spirit in you, and you know that you're going to spend eternity in heaven, fine. But let's be honest, sometimes you still empty that account. You haven't lost your salvation, but you're, there's some poverty in your heart. There's some hunger that you're trying to fill with different things. There's some hurt because somebody's saying bad things about you. We all have this. We're actually such messed up people that we need this Savior who speaks right here. And Jesus is saying, consider your thinking about what brings poverty or riches or what brings hunger and fulfillment and appetites and where you're getting your approval. Consider that. Change your thinking when it gets bad. Confess your sin when it is wrong. Turn to me. Trust that my way is the best way. I'm looking at this and I'm like, Lord, would you change our thinking? Would you give us the eyes of faith to go, life is not what I'm told it is on the TV and every other place. But life is what you say it is. Is this guy just a teacher? No. Because later he says, I'm going to die and I'll be raised again. And when he is raised again, he just says, that just verifies everything I've said is right. So trust me on this one. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads with me and, and reflect for a minute. It's a big message Jesus gives But he wants all of us today to repent for the Christian to change their thinking and confess their sin and turn back to Jesus. For some of you, if you do not know Jesus, he wants you to change your mind about what life is all about and who Jesus is. He wants you to change your mind and confess that you need him and turn to him today and simply say, I need you, Jesus. And he says, I'll give you a new life And I'll come to live inside of your heart and I will change you. Trust me today once and trust me the rest of your days. Heavenly Father, as I looked at this passage, there's so much to it. And I know you know every one of our needs and you, Holy Spirit, are speaking to those needs but I ask that you would help us to change our mind and see where we've gone wrong and to acknowledge we are poor and need you and we are hurt and we need you and we are hungry and we need you And nothing is going to make the life-lasting change in us like you. Nothing will satisfy like you. 
there is no hope like you. And so I, I confess there are times that I think that a calm day would bring is what I need. That's wrong thinking. What I always have needed is you. And so help me continue to turn to you. And I pray this for every one of my brothers and sisters, that you would cause us to be humble people, that we would turn to you. That you'd break us and cause us to confess our sin and turn to you. That you'd help us to see you either the first time or again and realize you're the answer. It's strange sometimes. Many times it doesn't make sense, but I believe that you have the answer to life. And if I ever doubted it, I can see that in the fact that you went to the cross, you allowed them to kill you, and you raised just like you said you would. And you are alive today. So continue to show my brothers and sisters today and this week that we are poor, we are hurting, we are hungry people, and you are the answer. You are the hope. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Each one of us is part of God's redemptive story. Take some time this week to share your God story with someone. I guarantee they will be blessed and you will be blessed as well. Join us again next week as we continue studying God's Word.